0: Welcome to Accelerating Government with act IAC on Federal News Network.
1: Now your host, Dave Winogren. Welcome to another episode of Accelerating Government. For over 40 years, the American Council for Technology and Industry Advisory Council has served a unique position in the federal marketplace as a nonprofit whose purpose is to bring together government and industry leaders to accelerate government mission outcomes through collaboration, leadership, and education. On today's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by three outstanding federal leaders. First up on the show are Emily Murphy, who is a senior fellow with the Center for Government Contracting at George Mason University and formerly served as the administrator of the General Services Administration. Welcome to the show, Emily.
2: Great to be here, Dave. Thank you.
1: Absolutely. Delighted to have you. And I'm also delighted to have Dave Mater, who is the Civilian Sector Chief Strategy Officer at Deloitte Consulting and formerly served as Controller and Acting Deputy Director for Management at the Office of Management and Budget. Welcome to the show, Dave. Thank you, Dave. It has been a very interesting and unusual and chaotic year, 2021. And while we can hope for better times ahead in 2022, two facts are evident. That the pace of change we've witnessed in the past year will only continue to accelerate. And the uncertainties that we face through the pandemic have reinforced the need for both agility and resiliency. Regardless of what unforeseen circumstances may transpire next year, the need to ensure both the continued relevancy of organizations and the need to rapidly adapt will be crucial. So with that as a backdrop, today's episode of Accelerating Government will give us a chance to think ahead on what issues, challenges, and opportunities will be top of mind. Let's get to it. As I said, it's great to have the two of you on the show. Collectively, you represent a tremendous amount of experience on federal priorities and management, acquisition, financial management, human resources, and leadership. So why don't we start at the strategic level? The Biden administration has just released the president's management agenda. What are a few of the top management challenges that you think government leaders must take on in the year ahead? Emily, we'll go ahead and start with you.
2: Thanks, Dave. Well, I think the great thing about the vision document that was released by uh, the Biden administration is that there's not a lot of change. It always worries me when you see a 180 on a management agenda. So it'll be interesting to see what the full PMA looks like when it comes out early next year but I was excited to see that there were call outs for improving acquisition, for customer experience, for the workforce, and strengthening the workforce, especially in the light of what's happened with COVID. All of those remain the keys to success across the federal government.
1: Absolutely. And Dave, how about you? What do you think are going to be the top management challenges in the year ahead?
0: I think uh, building on what Emily said, I, I was pleased to see the document last week because I do think it builds on a lot of the things that when I was at OMB at the, in the Obama administration that were started and you know, when Emily was the GSA administrator in the previous administration, that continued on. So this, to her point, builds on, I think, areas that we all recognize, whether it's technology, whether it's the customer experience and certainly the workforce, will continue to make progress um, along each of those three dimensions.
1: Yeah, a robust PMA, as you said, you know, over the years has served really well to be a North Star to align agency efforts. But you both know better than most how complicated it can be to take on whole-of-government challenges. And so what's some advice that you would offer on how do you gain momentum in implementing a president's management agenda. Dave, let's start with you on this one.
0: Well, I, I think, you know, the first is is aligning the president's management agenda with the budget. And we have a budget that Congress is dealing with right now for the current fiscal year, but most importantly, now the PMA, that now that the vision document has been released, it actually can be emphasized in the president's 2023 budget and I also think what's important is looking at those activities, those detailed activities in each of the three main areas that can be enacted quickly without any legislative changes, because as we all know, that legislative process takes you know a considerable amount of time. So looking for those quick wins, I think, is, is going to be important to cement the vision in action.
1: How about you, Emily? What are some of the things that you can do to work across agencies?
2: First of all, I completely agree with Dave that trying to make sure it's tightly aligned to the budget and that we aren't putting unfunded mandates on agencies is a key to success. There have to be resources to meet these objectives. But I also think choosing the right agency leads and choosing the right cross-agency goals and priorities are going to be the key to success. There has to be something in the goals where agencies see a win for them, where they see that this is actually going to improve their efficiency, their operations, reduce their costs. So having the right leaders in that who can go out and successfully talk about why the priorities are the correct priorities and why they're going to be beneficial to federal workers, to our contractors and to the larger community is very important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Dave, let's stay with you for a minute and talk about, I'll say like from debt ceilings to continuing resolutions, there are just so many challenging times financially for us all right now. And I wonder if people could offer some advice to our government and industry audience on how you successfully navigate the fiscal environment we find ourselves in.
0: Well, you know, David, it's, you know, it's not extraordinary that we have another fiscal year starting with a continuing resolution and probably in all likelihood we'll have another short-term continuing resolution until we have, you know, the, some kind of, you know, permanent omnibus bill. And I think it's something that, that government leaders, especially, and I say this as, you know, both a career leader and, and as a as an appointee are used to dealing with. And I think, you know, the community, the private sector community that supports the government You know recognizes that this is something that happens and you know we make adjustments both within the government and in the private sector you know to deal with these kinds of
1: situations yeah it does make it challenging for new things to start though right especially when you have like a new agenda to work on
0: and that dave i think is a good point because you know if we have another short-term cr you know we basically have lost probably four months of the fiscal year and that puts a lot of pressure on agencies as well as the contractor community to respond to procurements in the in the balance of that shortened fiscal year
1: and in, in your past assignments you you know you 've sat atop of a massive financial management empire. I bet there are some things in the financial management world that you'd love to see be a focus of improvement efforts still in the going forward? Are there some financial management areas of improvement that you'd like to see the government take on next year?
0: I've, I've been very pleased with um, the progress that's been made by the QSMOs, um, in particular the treasury Vet Financial Management QSMO. I've been involved with them now for the last several years in their industry days. They've done, I think, a real good job of uh, gathering input both from within the government but also from the vendor community. And I also think strategically aligning their procurement activity with GSA to allow GSA to do what GSA does, you know, best, and that's procurements, I think will will result hopefully this summer in a in a new set of, of contracts that will allow the CFOs, the federal financial community to move to, you know, a, a more modern approach and a more modern platform. Uh, for financial management over the next decade or two.
1: How about you, Emily? Financial management, areas of improvement, challenges to take on? What would you like to add to that?
2: So one thing I'm a little jealous that this administration gets from a financial management standpoint is a fully funded TMF, so technology modernization fund, and the ability to really spend those funds to invest in shared services and have a long-term return back to the fund. Uh, so I'm very curious the first five projects that have come out under the new TMF haven't really gone towards supporting that shared services model and I'm curious to see what's going to come next with the more than a billion dollars that's in that fund at this point.
1: Yeah, and uh, and you know, it was a massive infusion of cash into the TMF mm-hmm. and uh, and of course whenever like Congress actually gets around to putting a lot of money into something they're going to want to see results or else they're not going to be interested in funding it again. So sometimes I think you know, continuing resolutions may slow the appetite, but you have the TMF. And if we haven't spent the money effectively, fairly rapidly, probably not likely to get more. Dave, what do you think?
0: No, I. you know, I think building on what Emily said, I, I, I was really pleased to see, you know, a billion dollars in the American Rescue Plan, which to me signaled um, an alignment between the Congress and the administration around the importance of upgrading our, our technology and the fact that in the president's proposed FY22 budget, you know, they had suggested adding another 500 million. And, and I guess the House recently uh, suggested adding, you know, another billion in the Build Back America Act. So I to me, it's maybe now an alignment between the Congress and the administration as to the investment that I think we all know needed to be made over the last decade. And certainly when Emily was the regional at the administrator of GSA, certainly tried to get the Congress to to in, input more dollars into that
1: fund. Now, I know that Dave doesn't get to continue on with us in our next segment, but Emily will be back after the commercial break. We've got about a minute left before we have to take a break, Dave, so I'd love to give you a parting shot to offer some advice to the audience. Um, you've, you've done a great job as an outstanding leader over the years, some leadership advice, particularly for the younger members of our audience, maybe starting out their federal career
0: you know, having spent 36 years in the government, uh, I never regretted a day of being a public servant. And I think with the challenges that the country's facing, uh, now is a great time for people who want to serve to come into the federal government and make a contribution. Don't need to stay 36 years as I do, but, you know, come in and serve for five years, 10 years. Um, the rewards are uh, incredible.
1: With that, we'll say Dave Mater is the Civilian Sector Chief Strategy Officer at Deloitte Consulting. Dave, it was delightful to have you on the show today. We'd love to have you back for another episode. So thank you. And Emily Murphy will be back with us after our break, and we'll continue our conversation about what the future holds for the federal market. I'm Dave Wenigren and you're listening to Accelerating Government. Welcome back to Accelerating Government with act i I'm Dave Wenigren and in this segment, we we'll continue our conversation with Emily Murphy senior fellow with the Center for Government Contracting at George Mason University and former GSA administrator. Emily, When right before the break, we were talking a little bit about the Technology Modernization Fund and the large infusion of cash that they received in the last year and uh, wanted to get back to you and give you a chance to opine about, I'll say the both sides of the coin, that number one, with Congress, if you, if you get around to appropriate a billion dollars for something, you'd want to see a return on that investment in, in meaningful outcomes. But then also, you know, agencies have to like go and apply for the money or else it won't get spent either. And what's the appetite from agencies to do it and what might help with that situation? So over to you, some thoughts about the TMF.
2: So as the person who used to have to go to Congress and ask them for $50 million a year, uh, I'm incredibly jealous of billion dollars, but going and asking for that 50 million every year, the question I always got back from Congress was, why should the financial services general government portfolio be paying for IT modernization at the Department of Agriculture or the Department of Defense or anywhere else in the government? Why why was it outside of their portfolio? So it's great to see that they're embracing this idea that there are cross-government priorities that really need this funding. The challenge is going to be that the TMF was set up to be a self-replenishing fund, so that when agencies came in they and they could prove their business case, they'd get the funds, but they had to pay them back. So that you would always be working towards that you know, a zero-sum balance on it but um, and continually able to re- replenish those funds, not have to keep going back to Congress hat in hand. It's going to be interesting to see whether the current administration chooses to forgive those loans or actually insists on some form of repayment. And if they don't, what happens to the funding sources at that point in time? How does GAO respond to it? And is there the appetite to keep putting a billion dollars a year or more into that fund? There's certainly more of a technology deficit in the federal space than than a billion dollars can even begin to address. But it, it has to be shepherded wisely so that we can address as many of those priorities as possible.
1: Yeah, you make so many great points there. I mean, a billion dollars is such a big infusion compared to all the money that was put into collectively before mm-hmm. that. billion dollars on a $90 billion federal IT budget that still has the majority of the funding going towards sustaining the aging legacy base is not enough, certainly. But it is a great start if progress can be made, if agencies are willing to use the money, if agencies are going to pick solutions that deliver results, then maybe an appetite will continue otherwise we may not see another big infusion of cash. And it speaks, I think, to the issue that the vast majority of the federal technology budget ends up in the hands of the private sector. And so if we could sort of shift a little bit, I'd love to hear some more. You know, one of the things in the new PMA talks about lasting improvements in the federal acquisition system. And I know this is a subject that you have cared deeply about throughout your service in both the legislative and executive branches of government. So what are some of the key improvements or initiatives you'd like to see in federal acquisition?
2: So I, I've i spent 26 years now, I think, on every side of a government contract there is, whether it's writing the legislation, helping draft the regulations, implementing the program, being the contractor, being the lawyer, filing the bid protest. I do feel like I've been on every side of it, I'm hoping that as we look at improvements in the acquisition system, that we don't make the mistake of assuming that federal contractors can do the all things to all people. We frequently talk about the tension in acquisition between compliance and innovation. And I think that's an important one to keep in in mind as we're trying to really focus on getting our technology to the next generation and, and taking it and making sure we maintain our competitive advantage in that space. I'd also caution though that we need to be careful that we don't confuse acquisition's mission of getting things and actually whether it's a service whether it's a product whether it's some combination of that with all the other good things we try to make acquisition do. We we frequently use acquisition as a way to, through policies that we can't get Congress to agree upon. And both administrations or both parties do this when they're in power. So what I would love to see in an acquisition reform is something that looks at how do we increase competition? How do we increase transparency? How do we reduce the burden on contractors so that they can deliver we can have more contractors entering the space or succeeding in the space? How do we make rationalize the regulations that apply to contractors with those that actually benefit the federal government and the country at large? Some of the uh, some of the work that's happening right now with the eight seventy six approach looking at, can we increase task order competition? Can we prioritize the technical approach of companies so that we're bringing in more innovative companies? Uh, some of that looks at you know, reducing the regulatory burden on those companies so that it's what we need it to be. Some of it's using robotics process automation so that companies only have to submit the same information once and contracting officers only have to process that information once so that there can be, they can be better business advisors. So I'm hoping that the acquisition reform that comes through in the PMA is really focused on getting things and not on solving the you know, greater problems that we, we see in the ecosphere.
1: I think that uh, all of those points are music to the audience's ears, particularly our industry audience. And uh, and you're right, to, to use, sometimes we can be heavy handed when we use the acquisition process to sort of evoke change that we'd like to see that really goes beyond the acquisition world um uh, but but you did touch on a n- phrase in your answer that I'd like to pull the okay. string on a little bit and that was about innovation because it's a topic that you know everybody wants more innovation and in, and I've often opined that sometimes we're far more hampered by how we ask for things than by who we ask. And just like, you know, we have a great passion for getting non-traditional contractors into the market with new ideas and startups and things like that. If there are any number of large companies that have been longtime federal contractors that do great innovative work. If we can ask for it in a way that allows them to bring their best game to, to and best solution to the market. So I'd love to to hear a little bit about your thoughts about how do we actually do a better job of, of addressing innovation in the federal contracting market and getting more innovative solutions more rapidly into government?
2: Dave, as someone who is a strong believer in small businesses and the innovation they bring, I couldn't agree with you more. We punish our friends uh, but because we always try to make it easier to attract that new, bright, shiny company or that entity that has a new contracting idea or new technology in. And we will alleviate some of the burdens on them through an OTA, through um, a CSO, through all sorts of of new and innovative approaches to contracting, but we keep the same burden on our existing companies and then we complain that they don't deliver the same level of innovation. But when you look at those innovative contracting strategies, what's innovative about them is not necessarily the contract itself. I would argue that there's nothing that we're doing in an OTA that you couldn't do in a FAR-based contract. It's that we have tolerance for failure under an OTA. We do smaller, more innovative procurements, and we we fail early. It's also one of the advantages of programs like the SBIR program. When you do a fifty thousand or a you know hundred thousand dollar award, and you prototype, you get more innovative responses that way. And the if it doesn't work, you learn something. You can build on it. I think that that's really the key to to acquisition you know innovation rather than any one particular trick we're going to, you know, have in changing a regulation or, you know, embracing OTAs even further or, you know, or SIBRS or any of the other programs that we've got out there, all of which have their places, but none of which can be the ultimate answer.
1: You know, you've been such a champion for embracing new ideas and embracing change throughout your career. I wonder if you could maybe offer, you know, change is not easy as they say. And I wonder if maybe you could offer some advice to the audience about how do we address the sort of cultural change issues that will make some of these ideas that you brought forward today actually become a reality for us?
2: Um, I think it starts at the top. And by that, I mean, it's agency leadership, but it's also congressional leadership. It's very easy for inspector generals, for agency heads, for congressional committees to seize upon a failure and say, this proves that the entire system doesn't work. We need to then go in and redo the system. Rather than saying, okay, It was good, it was a small failure. We've learned from it, we're gonna do better next time. That doesn't make for a very good hearing. That doesn't make for a good IG report. That doesn't make for good testimony or a good end of the year speech for someone to give. If anything, my experience working with GSA back in the Bush administration during the Get It Right campaign taught me that if we wanted contracting officers to be more innovative, if we wanted to bring in innovative IT solutions, we had to have the backs of those contracting officers. Uh, we couldn't leave them being the ones who were exposed. The, the risk had to be held across the across the agency, um, and it had there had to be a willingness to defend mistakes. Because the there's a great talk out there on you know why good is is actually bad because we don't learn anything from good. Uh, good isn't great, but we uh, at, but we sometimes get become content with good and we never go beyond good. So. If there's a way for us to you know, to have leaders, especially the SES, the political leadership of agencies, really inculcate that, that value system in their contracting personnel, that the definition of a successful procurement is not one that is protest-proof. It is not one that uh, succeeds 100% of the time. It's one where it succeeds 80% of the time, 90% of the time, and the 10% it doesn't succeed. we have, learn something that's actionable and measurable that we're going to do differently next time.
1: Emily Murphy is the Senior Fellow with the Center for Government Contracting at George Mason University. Emily, thank you for your leadership, your service to the nation, and for taking the time to be here with us today. We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we'll be talking... Welcome back. You're listening to Accelerating Government brought to you by ACT IAC on Federal News Network. I'm Dave Wennergren, and on today's show, we're talking with some outstanding federal leaders about the year ahead. I'm delighted to be joined now by Suzette Kent, the Chief Executive Officer at Kent Advisory Services and the former Federal Chief Information Officer. Welcome to the show, Suzette. Thanks, Dave. Glad to be here. It's great to have you with us and it's great to have a chance to catch up. You've been such a champion for accelerating effective technology adoption and also a great believer in the power of engaging with industry during your time in government. And I'll say with that time in government still fairly fresh in your mind, (laughs) let's start at the strategic leadership level and then we'll dive into some more specific technology topics. The Biden administration has just released their president's management agenda You're probably having flashbacks to the president's management agenda that you shepherded. And so I'm just wondering, what do you think are some of the top management challenges that government must take on in the year ahead?
3: Well, Dave, first I have to say that I am thrilled to see a lot of common themes and continued acceleration of progress in key areas, you know, digital services for citizens, the, you know, embedding cyber into everything that we do focus on ensuring that we have that the talent that's needed at all levels, you know, uh, across agencies. So those components uh, and and using data to create, you know, not only informed decisions, but to, to measure outcomes. So all those things continue from administration to administration because it's great work. It's important to how we accelerate government. And, and so I don't, I, I, uh, I don't think some of the management challenges have significantly changed, but the opportunities that we have to solve for them have been impacted by what happened during the pandemic. And what, what I mean by that is, you know, we, we talk about delivering digital services and that being a priority. You know, we were moving at a pace that was reflective of funding and capacity, but when we moved into the you know pandemic phase, there was there were very clear priorities, and so some of the other things kind of cleared the deck so that we could focus on maintaining service to citizens in in areas that um, we could leverage digital capabilities. The new PMA not only continues that, but emphasizes ensuring that we're putting citizens at the center of the way that, that those things are delivered. In other spaces, um, sharing data. And again, we were making progress and putting agreements in place and had projects going on, but when you had to share data around whether it was buildings being open, health data, availability of vaccines, that accelerated the ideas and what we could do in different ways. So now, you know, they can take those themes and say, you know, let's not move backwards. Let's keep, you know, advancing the ball and take that path that we were already on the acceleration that we had to do, but let's keep moving at that pace. So those, the, you know, the, the challenges of, of workforce, the challenges of, um, Implementing and managing so many priorities at one time, and trying to match that activity up with you know funding processes that um, don't move as fast as technology. <laughs> Those things don't change. Uh, but what we saw over the last, let's call it you know, twenty-four months now, is that we can do it, and we, we absolutely have done it when we needed to. And we have to use that to to continue um, accelerating in places, especially the places that have uh, really delighted citizens.
1: Yeah, well, you know, as somebody now outside of government looking in, I would say, uh, to me, it's a great success story about how fast agencies were able to transition to the virtual world that they suddenly found themselves in. And that's sort of really sort of, your ability to be resilient was what separated those that are like losing their relevancy versus those which have found a new space in the in the world yeah so you know it's hard government is really big and and it's hard enough just within like a large federal agency to get things done but but oftentimes things like the president's management agenda and some of the other initiatives that you championed in your time of government require like cross-agency whole of government solutions that's particularly challenging and i just wonder if maybe you could offer some advice to our audience of industry and government listeners here like how do you how do you take on those you know those Cross government issues, what are some ways to help make sure that things like the new PMA will gain some momentum?
3: yeah well, you know Dave, any single thing or accomplishments are made you know by people and and you know they have to understand exactly what they're doing and how that contributes to whatever outcome they're trying to achieve, and things like the PMA and the Federal Data Strategy um, Executive Orders; those signal priorities, a- and those are banners to help coalesce all those different, you know, contributors around a certain, you know, priority. And that also helps. You know, I, I use the the term during the pandemic; we kind of clear the deck of other things going on. That also helps. Um, take away sometimes other distractions or at least mitigate you know those other distractions. It, it also creates um, a, a demand signal and a demand for that that kind of conversation whether the conversation is about you know, de, you know delivering better citizen services or enhancing use of data and sharing. You know some of the things that I'm still doing um, it, through other organizations and other activities is around advancing how we make federal data available and how we use it. And those are great conversations, you know, with agencies to improve not only the data, but the use of the data and the communities that use it, but what they coalesce around to your point, how do you move is solving a common problem, a problem that they've all, you know, agreed on. And whether that's understanding the price of a healthy meal you know, and the USDA is sponsoring it, or it's how are we more resilient during uh, responding to hurricanes and weather situations, you know, led by NOAA and FEMA, or some of the examinations of, you know, uh, driving a diverse workforce uh, that many agencies are taking on, that coalescing and getting things done is to solve a problem. And, And that is one of the things that the federal workforce is actually phenomenal at. They're mission-driven and they get excited. So using the the vehicles, PMA, executive order, federal data strategy, to to put up the banner for the problems that you're trying to solve helps move the needle And and it keeps people focused on the things that they have to do together or individually.
1: Yeah, and as you point out, it's great to see some consistency because if you're, if each PMA turns you 180 degrees around, that becomes really chaotic for the workforce. And I'm sure you, like me, are also delighted to see some of the technology issues having prominence in the new PMA. So maybe we'll do like yeah. a lightning round. We've got about another minute or so before we have to take a break. We'll start <laughs> and then we'll pick up and continue in the next section. But uh, some of the top technology priorities facing the federal government today, you've been such a champion for IT modernization in the cloud. What should be top of mind on the IT modernization front for folks in the year ahead? That's a big question,
3: right? So I'm going to answer that kind of tactically. You've seen a couple of agencies really be bold in putting out big statements about transformation, right? You you saw the com, you know, the 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 thing from Commerce. You saw activities from, you know, Treasury. You see Census. Uh, carrying or or moving forward with um, some of the outcomes from the, you know, the digital census, how we, we better leverage those. You saw um, IRS, you saw labor, you know, groups that have, um, they've looked at what they've accomplished and, and now they're, they're looking at taking on bigger, you know, transformations. I think the, when we, talk about modernization, and I'll share kind of some of my own observations, there's not a single party that doesn't understand it has to be done. The difficulty is where do you start, and what are the components that have to go together, and I'll use, you know, some of the things that were, you know, cybersecurity. As we try to balance change and risk, that's where some of the complication you know can sometimes come in because we've we have you know built our protective environment in one way and as we go to change that we have to ensure that that as we whether it's whether it's transitioning to the cloud whether it's changing an application whether it is moving our workforce remote and allowing them to do additional things in in a remote environment versus you know an on-prem secure environment those make us ask you know, the, the questions again. So the, the big challenges are still where do we get the biggest impact? What is the right sequence in which we do those? Where we're balancing the risk and you know reward paradigm. And and I do think we have to continue in the in on the government side to have an open mind to creative ways that we can work with business partners, and whether that is um, in the risk reward model with those business partners or pieces that, you know, the sequence that that we may do certain pieces or using services that have been successful with others and not necessarily, you know, building something from the ground up. Those are all the kinds of questions that um, we have to ask and we have to leverage collective expertise, not just inside government, but from, you know, maybe other industries and our business partners. Excellent.
1: And we're going to talk some more about those questions that we should be asking when we return. We're going to take a short break now. Uh, we'll continue our conversation with former federal CIO, Suzette Kent, in just a couple of minutes. I'm Dave Wenergren, and you're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. I'm Dave Wenergren, and in this segment, we're talking with Suzette Kent, Chief Executive Officer at Kent Advisory Services and the former federal CIO. When we left off the conversation before the break, we were talking a little bit about uh, IT modernization. And I know the Technology Modernization Fund was something you championed. And uh, and it's gotten a huge infusion of cash, like a billion dollars, which, which is great. But of course, then there will be a great set of expectations about how that money is spent effectively in order to continue an appetite for, with Congress. And so I just wonder if you maybe have a few thoughts about You know what needs to happen with the tmf how do we make sure that you know because it's a 90 plus billion dollar federal it budget and and so Mm one billion dollars won't fix everything but it will help but we won't get interest again if it doesn't get spent well
3: so i'm gonna start off by being blunt and if you're polite listeners i'm so damn excited about the funding in in the tmf and i think that tells us you know a couple things first of all the 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 process works and the that also you know we have many who realize how important technical capabilities are to the entire you know business of government um, also you know in this this latest round of funding there were some specific priorities so it so it also helped give a nudge to agencies you know from the funding side of Here's where we would like to see in additional innovation and technology investment. I think the flexibility on some of the the payback, um, the the work that the current team has done to industrialize the process, so that more pro- agencies can get proposals in there. All of that is exciting. It, it's it's just another mechanism to figure out ways to accelerate change and you know the the tmf is a great way to do something fast and urgent that's not going to come through your normal you know uh, appropriations kind of process and your standard planning as well as it, it gave agencies a place to it gives agencies a place to turn when opportunities present themselves that weren't expected you know we all know how you know Budgets are built and approved, and all that. Well, you're working on a you know long a long game timeline, but sometimes a great opportunity or an important need, or you know some something um, to address a situation, is more urgent than that. And so I'm I'm thrilled. Uh, at, like I said, as a as somebody who was involved in the process, I'm excited. But I'm even more happy as a citizen because I know it's going to help drive great things.
1: Excellent. The uh, PMA also talks about lasting improvements in the federal acquisition system, uh, another subject area that you've been a champion for. And so I'd love to give you a chance to offer some thoughts about, particularly you know, with the great desire to get access to more innovative solutions and more innovative approaches. There's so much that we could learn from how the commercial sector works. And, and I just wonder if you could mon- talk a little bit about Acquisition improvement, what should happen next? What should we be on the lookout for? What should we maybe focus some more time and attention
3: on? Yeah, Dave, D- that's a great question. And, you know, acquisition partners ha- ha are part, ha- have been um, part of the end-to-end process with technology teams all along. But as we buy more things as a service, as we leverage them, you know, differently, as we share across agencies, that shifts that acquisition model. And also when, you know, I talked about the risk reward balance before, having spent so much of my time in the, you know, in the private sector, many of the vendors and approaches to impacting, you know, modernization and big transformational change have have mechanisms to balance that risk reward that are different. They may help smooth out the heavy cost in the front end and share more reward on the back end. They may also agree to do things where vendor partners and the agency are mutually bound to success. The, you know, financial flows are more success dependent. Some of those that may not sound that innovative to some of the listeners, I hope it does and I hope it's things they're already thinking about. But sometimes some of our acquisition rules and processes don't necessarily facilitate that. One of the things that I really enjoyed is when we would come almost do you know a, a reverse of the approach to an RFI or an RFP and start with the goal and say, "This is the thing I'm trying to solve for. Come tell me if you think you have a solution." and You know, that's when you see some of those things that cross over from a private sector industry or from another agency that you might not have thought of, you know, coming from a really strict paradigm of certain sets of processes. And I I think that's a, a much more creative way to have the dialogue, but also many times you'll find there are components that are already built, developed, ready, easily transitioned. So back to your accelerating point, it, it actually gets you to the end result faster. So you know whether it's in creativity around the financial components, creativity in how you consider solutions and engage not just business partners but others in government or ways that you balance the risk. Those are some of the innovations that the you know acquisition side can can bring to the conversation and. You know, work hand in hand with the technology partners.
1: So then I'm going to ask you in closing, because we have about another minute left, the impossible question to answer quickly, but, but so much of what you've talked about today has been about the cultural change, that, that the opportunities exist if we can be bold about making change. So I wonder if you want to end the show with some advice to the audience about how to, you know, how to, how to take on change in their leadership roles
3: in any conversation i actually like ending it with the people and you know the workforce and i think many of the ways that we get the power and the perseverance and the muster to get through some things like this is the passion for the mission and the investment in the people that are delivering and that means you know at the at the very simplest making sure that it's clearly understood the what and the why, but it's also ensuring that as you modernize and invest, you continue to do that with the workforce. That's also another area that I'm continuing to work on um, now. And some of that is alternative learning pathways and technology through different companies that can bring that not only to federal, but to private sector. Um, I'm also working with a number of universities on how we get hands-on technology capabilities into classrooms. And with faculty, so that whether any of those paths you choose, we are enabling new people to be successful day one, and you know day, uh, you know in year ten, and as we continue to, to change, so so to to do you know these big things. Yes, we are driving new technologies. We're doing the business of government differently. And we have to ensure that as we change those things, we're supporting you know, the workforce with the capabilities they need, not just to be excited about it, but to be successful at it too.
1: And I think that's an excellent place to leave it. Suzette Kent is the Chief Executive Officer at Kent Advisory Services. Suzette, thank you for your leadership, for your service to the nation, and for taking the time to be here with us today. It's been great to have you. On today's episode, we imagined the future and we heard some great advice from outstanding leaders on how to chart a course boldly into the future as we all work together to accelerate government mission outcomes. I'm Dave Wenergren. Thanks for joining us. Happy holidays. And I hope you'll join us again next year. For the next episode, we'll have change icon and author John Cotter on. You're listening to Accelerating Government brought to you by act on Federal News Network.
0: Thanks for listening to Accelerating Government with act You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime in your podcast feed. Search for Accelerating Government on Podcast One, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts.